looking at Luke chapter 24. You don't need to turn there quite yet, uh, but we're going to be looking at Luke 24. It's, it's interesting, an, an observation that I've seen in, in youth ministry when I ask students on a Wednesday night, hey, turn in your Bibles to, to Luke 24. The majority of them don't go and grab the Bible that they've brought along and you know open up their, their Bible and, and find Luke 24. The majority of them, when I say that, they pull out their cell phones, you know, they, they type in Luke 24, look it up and, and pull it out. Uh, the, the next generation is, is a digital generation. They're digital natives. They, they, they speak technology. They understand technology. So for the most part, you're just going to see, you know, the, the top of their heads because they're staring at their phones. And, and so this is how they consume God's Word. If they go and read it at home, they're probably not to- pulling the Bible off of their bookshelf but they're pulling out their phone, they're going to a reading plan, they're going to the Bible app, and, and they're getting like a curated list of Bible verses to read for that day, or, or maybe they're scrolling through social media, and uh, you, know, you see the verse of the day, you probably have seen that before, like a verse of the day, and it's got this nice graphic you know, with like a mountain on it, or some piece of nature, and there's a, a, a nice font that they use, and it gives you this scripture verse, you know, and that, that's nice, that's nice. But the problem is when we only consume the Bible digitally and not through, you know, a paper copy where you can kind of feel the weight of how thick this thing is, you can kind of easily miss out on the big picture of the Bible. Uh, I would liken it to this. Uh, Reading the Bible digitally would be like going to a big buffet, right? And there's a bunch of different tables. And when you're going to a buffet, you get through and uh, maybe you're talented, maybe you grab two plates, but the majority of people, you know, we start out with one plate. There's only so much room on that plate, right? So you don't go by, you don't start out and be like, huh, I think I'm going to go hit up the vegetable table, right? You just kind of like ignore that. Usually when I grab a plate, the first thing I do is like, where's that guy with the knife cutting up a big hunk of meat, you know? That's where I'm going to go first. And uh, next, I might see where the dessert table is. You know, there's usually a lot of offerings there, and I want to make sure I got room for dessert, and oh, there's like three different desserts here, and I can't decide, so I better put all three on my plate. You know, but we, we just kind of skip that whole vegetable table because we don't like it. So that's like reading the Bible digitally. It's, oh, I like this part. This part tastes good. I like it. I could keep going back for more dessert and more dessert. This is great. But the vegetables, you know, uh, I think I'll avoid Leviticus for now and just not look at it or not even realize it's there. But when we read you know, the, the paper Bible, that would be like your parents cooking you a nice home-cooked meal, you know, well-rounded, and, and you're, you're served a plate, and you can't help but avoid look at the vegetables that are on your plate, right? You, you notice it. You see that you're there. Now, you may still avoid them. You may push them off to the side. You may feed them to the dog, but you can't ignore the fact, you know, that, that numbers is there or some of the minor prophets are there. You still see them because you see the, the weight of this Bible. So with this trend towards digital Bibles and in this next generation, uh, since the beginning of our school year, in our Sunday school class, in our youth Sunday school class, we've been looking at the question, what's in the Bible? What's in the Bible? So the first thing we did was uh, we opened up to the table of context just to get a scope of how big the Bible was and how it was put together, how it was assembled, what books are in it. So this morning, I invite you to open up your Bibles to the table of context. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it will be on the screen. Just the table of context. And you'll see on the screen here, we've got 66 books broken up into the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, We've got 39 in the Old. We've got 27 books 
in the New Testament. It was written over a period of 1,600 years, uh, written by over 40 authors. And as you're, maybe you haven't looked at the table of contents in your Bible in a while, but uh, as you look through this, in Sunday school, the, the questions that I got or the responses I got as we looked in the, the table of context was, I didn't know this book was in here. Or uh, what's this book about? Or how do you pronounce Thessalonians, right? And it's just like, what, what are these books? Because some of them they just never really even seen before. My favorite question I got was, Pastor Ben, why don't you preach out of this book? You know, oh, thanks, guys. Glad you noticed, right? And uh, so maybe right now you, you're experiencing that similar response, and you're just like, wow, you know, I've never noticed there's so many books in the Bible before. I've never read that one. You know, when's the last time you read the book of Ezra or the, the last time you read the book of Jude? Or this morning, if I said, hey, open your Bibles to the story of David and Goliath, what book would you turn to? Or open your Bibles, let's read about Samson this morning. What, what book would you turn to? So uh, God's given us these 66 books full of wisdom and knowledge I mean, in my Bible, I don't know about yours, but there's 1,800 pages in here. You know, that's, that's a lot of content. That's a lot of words from God. And, and in here, it contains answers to difficult questions. Uh, it gives us examples of what to do and examples of what not to do. So you get a lot of examples. And I'm really glad that God gave us this whole big book with lots of words, and he didn't just simply give us a pamphlet, Right? Wouldn't that stink if God just left us a pamphlet? Life manual, you know. Instruction one, don't mess up. Instruction two, so you messed up. Now what? Instruction three, ask Jesus for forgiveness. Right? I'm glad that God didn't just leave us with this, but he gave us so many words and so many ways that we can experience, that we can follow him, and we can learn from positive examples, from negative examples. We can learn from Jesus himself. So this morning, if God inspired the whole Bible and, and not just our favorite parts or the parts that we come back to regularly, then why don't we read the whole Bible from cover to cover more often than we do? The question I really want to look at today is, why is the whole Bible important? Why is the whole Bible important? Uh, why can't we just get by, you know, on Genesis, Proverbs, Psalms, and the Gospels? Like, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? So now I actually want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Uh, we're going to be looking there. And, and this is, if you're looking for chapters to avoid, or what, this is, Luke 24 is, you know, that's that big hunk of meat. Like, you don't want to miss this chapter. This, this chapter is pivotal in the story of the Bible. Uh, this chapter starts out with Jesus being raised from the dead. And after he's raised from the dead, it says that the women went out to, to check on him in the tomb, and when they got there, he was gone. And two angels were there, and, and they told them, you know, Jesus is alive, he's been raised from the dead. They were excited. They went back and told the disciples uh, everything they had heard, and the disciples were, well, we better check that out for ourselves, right? And so Peter, he, he runs back to the tomb, and he doesn't see the angels there anymore, but he doesn't see Jesus there either. His body's no longer there. And so he goes back, and, and rumors are starting to fly. They're, they're starting to figure things out. I mean, the disciples, they were still in mourning at this period. The, the, this was their Savior. This was the one who was to come, and, and he was going to rule, but now he's dead. And all their hopes were dead with it. But now here's this, here's this spark of hope. Jesus is gone. And on that day in Luke 24, it says two of Jesus' followers were, were walking, and they were 
talking about all these rumors that they were hearing, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus walks up behind him. But they didn't realize it was Jesus. They didn't, they didn't realize it was him. And, and this had to be a fun conversation for Jesus, right? They're talking about him, but they didn't realize that it was him. And, and you can read that conversation there, but I kind of picture it happening this way, you know. He, he's walking up behind him like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Oh, Jesus, yeah, no, never heard of him. That's interesting. Tell me more. Oh, he's raised from the dead. Oh, okay. And, and finally, he gets to the point where he just can't contain himself anymore. He, he's got to say something. So in verse 25 of Luke 24, it says this. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And this is the part I want you to get right here. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here we have Jesus. He goes through the whole Bible from start to finish with these two believers, and he points out how in all the scriptures everything points to him. Everything points to Jesus. All the prophets, all the stories, when the Red Sea parted, everything points back to to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that happened in the Old Testament. I mean, how fun would that have been to be in that conversation? I've had a lot of great Bible teachers in my day, but to, to, to literally see Jesus unpack scripture and teach from it, I mean, that had to be just a great moment to hear. And, and so, getting back to our Sunday school class this morning, it's, as we look through that table of contents, we've asked a lot of questions and looked at kind of the whole scope of the Bible. It's helped them to look at the bigger picture. It's helped them to realize that the Bible isn't just this collection of random stories, but rather all of these stories are telling one big story, and it all connects. It all connects. See, the Bible is a story of a hero who, who comes to win back his lost treasure. It's the story of a prince who's come to rescue his bride. It's the story of a father who, who adopts his children and saves his children. It's the story of good versus evil. So the whole Bible is important because from start to finish, Jesus is the thread that holds it all together. From start to finish, Jesus is the thread that holds it all together. He, he's the thread that's running through the entire book from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is the one who holds it all together. Now in college, I worked in, in the library, and, and it was a lot of fun to be uh, to work in the library. I mean, you got to, besides just, you got to check in books, you got to shelve books. I like order, so it was fun just to put things in order. I got to shush people, you know, so that was a big perk of being a librarian. That was fun. Uh, but on top of that, uh, everybody who worked in the library had their own special, special job that they had to do, and mine was fixing books. So I got to rip apart books every day and put them back together. It was fun to see how all these books were, were put together and Probably the most common way that I saw was uh, they would just, you know, you'd have all the pages in a nice stack and then you'd glue them together and slap a cover on it and call it good. And so that must be like the cheapest way to make them because you'd see that quite often. But at the same time, once those books got to a certain age, the glue would dry out and it would crack. So literally I could, you know, just take the book, open it up and you just hear this pop, you know, and pages would fall out. And I worked there for three years, and pretty much every day I had a stack of five to ten books that I was fixing because the glue dried out, and, and so it was very common. Now, another way that I saw books put together was they were actually sewn together. And these ones were, were much stronger, probably 
cost a lot more to put them together this way, but they were, they were much stronger because in three years, I maybe fixed five total books that were threaded together. And as I got to take them apart and kind of look at them, what would happen is, you know, if the book's a thousand pages long, they would break it up into little 20 or 40 section, like mini books throughout this whole book. And they'd take each section and they'd start at the bottom and they'd thread, uh, thread through that section all the way to the top and then they'd jump to the next section from top down to bottom and back and forth, top to bottom, top to bottom. And this one thread would run through the entire section, taking all these little mini sections, little mini books, putting it all together. Then you put the glue on and put it back together. And, and it was a strong bond. And in the same way, Jesus is the thread that starts in Genesis and, and it weaves its way through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, into the history books, into the prophetic books, into the gospels, into the epistles, all the way through Revelation till the end. He's the thread that holds all of these books together and he makes it one big story. And whenever I preach, I'm always looking for that connection. How does this, how does this Old Testament story point to Jesus? You know, how does this advice given in this letter by Paul, how does that point to Jesus? Because in the end, Jesus is the point. Jesus is the thread that holds everything together. So I want to look this morning, in the first part of this message, as uh, I want to look at the Bible as one big story. There are many different ways you can break it up, but I want to break it down in four different parts for you. If we're looking at the story arc of the Bible, you can see the major storyline and how Jesus is connected from start to finish. So the first part is creation. Creation. On page one of the Bible, we see that it starts at the beginning of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the land, the water, the, the oceans, the plants, the animals. And, and, and he created his, his favorite piece of creation, the most precious piece of creation. He created people. He, he made man and women in, women in his own uh, image. And he said, it was good. It was good. He looked at creation and he said, it was good. This is a great beginning to a story. Everything is perfect. But my question is, okay, so where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in this? Well, in John chapter 1, we see this. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And all throughout John, uh, John uses the Word to talk about Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So here we have this statement that John makes. He says, uh, the word of God and Jesus are so closely related that I can use them interchangeably. So again, another just reason to believe that Jesus is the thread that holds this whole Bible together when you can interchange those. So John writes that in the beginning, Jesus was there and he was with God. And not only was he just watching, but he was a part of it. It said, uh, if Jesus wouldn't have been there, nothing would have gotten made. So we see Jesus' hands, we see his fingerprints all over creation. Everything was made through Jesus. Genesis does not and cannot happen without Jesus. So on, on page one of this uh, big story, God and Jesus created everything. It was perfect. Everything was as it should be. Everything was in harmony. But like every good story, you got to have some conflict, right? If nothing goes wrong, then you don't have a story. So the second part is the fall. The fall, it doesn't take long. I mean, we're talking 
page two, maybe page three of the Bible, humanity, God's favorite part of creation, messes everything up, right? We don't, it doesn't take long for humans to, to mess things up. And, and that's what happened. So his children, the ones he loved, the ones Jesus helped design, turned their backs on God. Adam and Eve chose to break the one rule that was in place. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. I mean, they had it all. They had this perfect relationship with God. They were healthy. They, they were given authority to rule over creation. They got to name all the animals. I mean, it was, it was great. They had eternal life. And they wasted it all with just one act. They were, they were put out of the Garden of Eden because they disobeyed God. So again, where's Jesus in this fall? So when God is sending Adam and Eve out of the garden, he's telling the devil and Adam and Eve all the different things that they'd have to do and how life was going to be different now, how it was going to be more, more painful and you know, death was going to enter the world now and it's tough. And so he's talking to the serpent, he's talking to the devil. In Genesis chapter 3, he says this, And I will put enmity between you, again talking about the devil, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So even in Genesis chapter 3, even at the worst point, the lowest point of humanity where we break our relationship with God, God is already foreshadowing uh, what's going to happen later on? He's already foreshadowing, saying, you know what? You messed up, but a Savior is coming. That's the first message he sent to them. A Savior is coming. Eve, you're going to have, uh, you know, somewhere in your lineage, in your offspring, is going to be one that, that comes, and he's going to defeat Satan. You may not have been able to defeat him today, but one is coming who is going to defeat him. Guess what? It was Jesus that he was talking about. So Jesus is, is there. Now, in the next several hundred pages, right, we're only on page two or three of the Bible, the next several hundred pages in this book is humanity's attempt to get back what they lost. And they failed. And they failed. And they failed. They keep trying to recover from this fall, but no matter what they did, they weren't able to climb out of the hole that they dug for themselves. I mean, they tried everything. They tried good works. Uh, they, they tried gaining as much power and as authority as they could, but that didn't work. They tried gaining as much wisdom as they could, but that didn't work. Uh, even one time they thought, maybe we just build a really big tower and walk all the way up to heaven. Guess what? It didn't work, right? And, and so they tried everything, but humanity's efforts fell short. So because humanity just kept failing and failing, God decided to promise one family. He said, all right, let's start over with one family. And he promised Abraham, hey, through you, the whole world is going to be blessed, right? Through you, that's where the Savior is going to come. And, uh, but time and time again, even though they were God's chosen people, the Israelites rejected God. And they chose to reject him rather than to run to him. It'd be like this. Picture, picture this. Uh, a lot of you guys took shop class, right? You wood shop, and, and you did all that. So imagine there's a teacher, and uh, the teacher, he's got his whole class there. He's a good teacher, and he teaches them all the basic things you need for wood shop. I mean, he, he shows them day one, you know, you got to start off by taking all the safety precautions. He shows them how to use the goggles, and, you know, you should unplug the table saw before you try to touch it, and different things like that, you know, just the basics. And he moves on to the next lessons of this is the drill press, this is the table saw, this is the planer, uh, this is the, the router. He shows them how to sand, he shows them how to stain, he shows them how to do all this stuff. I mean, day after day, he's teaching them lessons, and, and, and they're, they're starting to get it, they're starting to learn, and some things are starting to turn out, 
And they get to the day of the final exam, and he gives them all the final test. At the end of the day, everybody fails. Like, how disappointing would that be as a teacher? Like, you put your heart and soul into these kids, and then they all fail your test, right? But he's a good teacher, so he decides, all right, I'm not going to give up. In fact, next semester, I'm just going to take one student. I'm going to take my best and brightest student, and, and we're going to try this again. So I'm just going to give him one-on-one teaching this entire semester, right? And, and so he, he does it again. He starts over with the basics. He goes through all the safety rules. He, he gets into all the machinery. He shows them how to use these tools and, and, and starting to get it. He's starting to get it and then even gets into some of the advanced lessons. The day comes to the final test, feeling good about it. And the student goes in. He's ready. And, and the student uh, not only fails this time, but he intentionally fails. Like he turns in just a hunk of junk because he doesn't want the teacher to feel good, right? And that's, that's basically the story of mankind. God gave us all this test. We all failed. We all messed up. We have all sinned. And so he said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to start over with just Abraham. Maybe, maybe if we just put special attention on this one group of people on Israel's, if these are God's chosen people, maybe they'll get it right. But not only did they fail, but they just like, rejected God and started serving other gods. Like, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a lack of effort. They just decided, no, we're just going to go a different direction here. It's the story of mankind. That's the story of the fall. They decided to follow gods who are carved out of wood instead of following the almighty God, the only one who could change them. So at the end of part two of the big story, mankind is in a rough place. They're failures. They've turned their back on the only one who can save them, and there's no hope. But then comes part three. I'm very thankful for part three. Part three is redemption. Now, if, you've, if you haven't read the Bible, if you've never finished it, I apologize because I'm going to give you some spoilers here, okay? But I do want you to listen to them. Don't tune out here. Uh, because this is the climax of the whole story. God sends the rescuer, the one he promised all the way back in Genesis chapter three on, you know, like page three of the Bible. God sends the rescuer, the one he promised, and to rescue humanity and restore the relationship between God and man. Uh, again, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So here we have the Christmas story. Again, the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. The son of God became flesh. The the Son of God who was up in heaven, who had all authority, who had all power, came to earth, humbled himself as a baby. And just think about that. Jesus had to be fed. He had to be wiped. He had to be burped. He had to get his diaper changed. Where just a little bit ago, he was in heaven with all authority and, and all power. But that was just the beginning uh, of the, the rescue plan here. Uh, the mission was just getting started. To complete this mission, Jesus would have to live a perfect life so that he was not guilty of sin or worthy of death in any way. And then in an act of total love and mercy, he needs to give up his life for the failures of all humanity. And that's exactly what happened. 33 years later, after overcoming temptation, Jesus would give up his life on the cross. And three days after that, he would be raised from the dead. In this act, Jesus fulfilled all the promises that had been made about him. He crushed the serpent's head. He, he had brought a blessing on the entire world. He had restored the relationship between God and man. Jesus had conquered sin and death. 
Now when God's creation turns to Jesus, they too can overcome sin and death and are restored to relationship with God and receive eternal life, just like it was back on day one in the Garden of Eden. See, Jesus is the hero of the story. He's the thread that pulls it all together. Then every story, every good story, you know, kind of has a, well, what happened next after the, the climax of the story? What's the resolution? And uh, in this case, the resolution is restoration. In this part of the story, in part four of the story, we see uh, how the church takes off. We see how Jesus' fame spreads through, through all the earth. And Jesus' followers, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They begin to do the same things that Jesus did while he was here on earth. It was cool just to see the church take off. And in the last book of the big story, in the last few pages, we see how it ends for creation. We see how it ends for humanity. Those who choose to follow Jesus live happily forever after in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they live with God for eternity where again they'll get to eat from that tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden, uh, where the streets are paved with pure gold, where God is the light of life and there's no darkness, there's no pain, there's no tears, because we are in the presence of God. Like, that's the story, that's the end of the story. See, Jesus, he even puts a big bow on it. In Revelation chapter 22, on the last page of the Bible, verse 13 says this, this is Jesus talking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. So again, at the end of this, he, he shows, I was here from the start, and I'm here to the end. So from start to finish, Jesus is the thread that pulls the whole book together. So that's the big story. That's a, a macro look at how Jesus is the thread that pulls it all together. But I want to look briefly at the micro scale, uh, about how Jesus is not only there from start to finish, but he's literally on every single page in this book. He's on every single page. I mean, have you ever read something in the Bible and you thought, man, that sounds really familiar. That kind of sounds like Jesus, but I'm in the Old Testament. Jesus is in the Old Testament, right? And, and, and so I want you, to, want you to see this morning how Jesus is in every detail. So look at the story of Adam, right? Sin entered the world because of Adam's dumb mistake, right? And because of his one dumb mistake, the whole world now is born with that tendency to sin. Like, they, they are depraved. They have no chance. But on one day, through one act, Jesus dying on the cross, now the whole world is blessed because of the one thing that one man did, that Jesus did. See, Jesus is the new and improved Adam, Right? So I'm very thankful for that. Adam was able to change the whole world negatively, but Jesus was able to change the whole world positively, again, through one act. Uh, look at the story of Joseph. Right? Now stop me when this sounds familiar. Joseph, he left his home and his father. Uh, the people who he spent the most time with, his brothers, would sell him for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he did nothing wrong. He would go from prison to royalty. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right? Because Jesus, he'd leave his home and his father. Uh, the disciples, the people who were closest to him, uh, one of them would sell him out for pieces of silver. He would be beaten and whipped, even though Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus would die a criminal's death, but yet he'd be raised to life again as the king of kings. And God would use everything that happened to him even death, to do the greatest work the world has ever known. 
right? He's everywhere. Uh, the story of Exodus. God's people were slaves in Egypt, and God sent Moses to deliver them. You see the ten plagues. You see, you see the, the Red Sea split, right? But one day, God's peoples would be slaves again. Not, not to a king or a pharaoh, but this time to their own sin. And it would have such a strong grip on them, there was no way that they could escape on their own. And, and Jesus was the new rescuer who would rescue them, again, not from a people, but from the slavery to sin. Here's another story. Maybe you've never read this one. Uh, it's in the book of Numbers. The Israelites are wandering around in the desert, and, I mean, they're just complaining. They're, they're telling God, God, we wish we would be back in slavery where at least we had better food to eat. Right? And they're complaining. So God sent fiery serpents, and, and these serpents started biting the people, the Israelites, and they started dying. So uh, they cried out to God, God, save us. And so God told Moses, Moses, I want you to uh, make a serpent out of bronze and stick it on a pole and tell the people to look at it. And it says, if you got bitten by a snake, if you went and looked at that, that snake that was up on a pole, then you would be healed. And that's what happened. But that sounds an awful lot like humanity. I mean, we complain a lot. And remember, we got that, that snake bite uh, at the Garden of Eden that, that caused death in our lives, and we were destined to die. But now we find healing when we see Jesus lifted up on that cross, on that pole, right? So it's just like, man, Jesus just keeps popping up in these stories. Jesus isn't just part of the Bible story. He's the point of every Bible story. Uh, David versus Goliath. Again, stop me if this sounds familiar. David was an underdog that was mocked by those he came to save. David was the representative for all of Israel. Instead of all of Israel fighting the Philistines, he would represent uh, Israel in a winner-take-all battle. David risked his life for his people. David's victory and the spoils of this victory were given to all of Israel even though they didn't fight the battle personally. Look at Jesus now. Jesus was an underdog that was mocked by those he came to save. Jesus gave his life for all people in a fight that wasn't even his own. Jesus was the representative of all humankind when he faced that cross. And when Jesus defeated sin and death, he gave the spoils of victory that he won, eternal life. He gave it to all of us, even though we did nothing to deserve it. Jesus is the true and better David. Uh, Solomon. Solomon built a temple for God, but one day Jesus would build the temple of the Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us. Esther, against all odds, saved her people who were destined for destruction, where Jesus, against all odds, would save his people destined for destruction. See, all of these heroes of the Bible that I just listed, and we could list many, many more, they're like diet pop, right? Uh, they kind of taste like the original, but let's be honest. Diet pop is nowhere close to the original, right? All these people are like diet Jesus. They kind of remind you, they kind of point to like, hey, this kind of sounds like Jesus, but they're not as good. They're not, they're not as good because you might find David doing heroics, something heroic on one page, and then in the next page you find him messing up royally, right? So like all of these Bible heroes, they had their great moments, but they had their failures because there's only one hero in the Bible, and that's Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only true hero in the Bible. I mean, look at Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon, Daniel, Esther, Mary, Paul, Peter. They all did heroic things, but they all made big mistakes too. Jesus is the only true hero of the Bible. All the stories of heroic people, they simply point to Jesus. 
Because Jesus isn't just part of the Bible story. He's the point of every Bible story. One more thing I want to share with you this morning. Let's make this personal for you. You are part of this story. You're part of this story. Because the Bible starts at creation and ends in eternity. And somewhere in there, you fall on that timeline, right? Somewhere after Jesus was raised from the dead and before Revelation, you fall on this timeline. And so the good news about that is that because you're part of the story, because you play a critical role in this big story, you can learn from those who have gone before you, right? Because there's no situation that you're in right now that somebody else hasn't already experienced, that someone else already hasn't uh, figured out the right way to do it or figured out the wrong way to do it, and we can find their stories in the Bible. But we're never going to learn from them if we don't take the time to read it. Or if we just read like the greatest hits from the Bible, right? The best passages. We, we need to read the whole thing so we can see uh, all the stories and all the different ways that God wants to speak to us. So think about this. If you ever feel like you're going through a wrong uh, or going the wrong direction in life, like you're in a dark place, and it seems like you will never see the light of day again, then go read Jonah. He's been there. He's done that. You're not alone. Uh, if you ever feel like no matter how many things you do right, everything keeps going wrong, Go try reading Job. He's been there. He's done that. And he can help you with some of those answers. If you've ever feel like you're in over your head and you've been given more responsibility than you can handle, then check out the letters that Paul wrote Timothy. There's some great things in there that God wants to speak to you. Or if you want to see how to do things right the first time, check out the Gospels so you can look at the story and life of Jesus and he can show you how to live. Now, there's so many other stories. There's so many other things that we could list that I could go through. But the, in the end, the Bible has the answer to every situation that we're going through. And, but we will never realize that if we don't read it. You're part of the story. So learn from those who have gone before you. Now from this whole, whole message, this, the thread that Jesus holds everything together, I want you to take home two things this morning. And the first one is this. Be captivated by all of God's word. Be captivated by all of God's word. Don't, don't just skip over parts or, or just read the parts that you like the most or make you feel the best about I mean, because we can go through and be like, you know what, I just need some Psalm 23 today. You know, I just, I need to go read Jeremiah 29, 11 again. I need to go see John 3, 16 again. But the whole Bible is there to help us. So be captivated, fall in love with God's word. Because maybe you've been sitting there like, God, why doesn't God answer me? Why doesn't he speak to me? Well, maybe the answer this morning is he already has. You just haven't read it yet, right? God wants to speak to you through his word. Uh, this year at Christmas uh, was the first time ever our family decided to buy a real Christmas tree, right? That, that was a fun experience. Got to go out. We got to pick out our Christmas tree, bring it home, and uh, put it in a little bucket of water and and. And I did everything I could. You know, the, the first uh, couple weeks, I was watering it twice a day, you know, and it looked nice. And, and I was really proud of that Christmas tree. I was keeping this thing alive. Like, it was, it's not going to die on my watch. So twice a day, I'd go and water that thing. About two weeks in, all of a sudden, I noticed the top of the tree started drying out. I was like, but I'm watering it. You know, I'm giving it the best I've got. And then after about three or four weeks, I just gave up. Because it was just, it was dry, you know. It was nice, but it was dry. And, and a lot of us, we're kind of like that, that Christmas tree. If we're not reading our Bibles, if we're not rooted in God's word, 
We may look nice on the outside. I mean, we may put a lot of ornaments on ourselves and try to make it, try to cover up the dry spots here or there. But in reality, if we're not rooted in God's word, then we're just slowly dying. We're slowly drying out. If the only uh, scripture that you're getting is on a Sunday morning or on a verse of the day on Facebook, that's not enough. We need to be able to get into God's word. As followers of Jesus, we need to be able to get into God's word and read it for ourselves and dissect it ourselves and get it inside of us. That's how we stay rooted in God. That's how we stay alive. That's how we stay flourishing because he's going to give us life as we read his words. So I encourage you this morning, find a reading plan uh, to go through the Bible. Not just parts of the Bible, but, but go through the whole Bible. Just a couple of suggestions for you this morning. Last year, uh, what I did, because sometimes if you start at Genesis and try to go all the way through Revelation, uh, you get lost somewhere there in, in numbers or some of those things, and it's just like, oh, man. Uh, so one way that I helped me get through the whole Bible and keep it nice and interesting and never get bogged down was I found a reading plan where it let me read four different passages a day, one out of the Old Testament, one out of the New Testament, uh, one from the gospel, and one from like the poetry books like Psalms and Proverbs and things like that. So four times a day, I got a little bit something from each, and it was cool how, hey, this New Testament verse lined up with this Old Testament verse. So there's plans like that out there. Uh, this year, I've started doing a, a chronological reading through the Bible. So believe it or not, these books aren't in order because people put it together, and sometimes they organize them because it's like, well, this book is shorter, so let's move it farther back, right? And uh, so they're not necessarily in order. They're mostly in order, but not necessarily in order. But it it helped me understand, like, oh, this is what goes. So as I'm reading, you know, Genesis, I get to Genesis chapter 11, then it says, okay, now go read Job, because Job, they believe, took place sometime in there. And so I'm reading through it chronologically. And this year, you guys may think I'm weird, but just bear with me for a minute, all right? Indulge me. Uh, I, I understand things better when I write them down. Anybody that way? You understand things better when you write them down? So I decided this year, I'm going to make a timeline of the Bible, but I want like one long sheet of paper. So this is what I started. Started with Genesis and uh, made sure I got a long one. But this is my, my notes for the year. It's going to be keeping track of just like what happened in the Bible. So mentally I can be like, oh yeah, that's when it happened here. So I'm not saying you have to do this, but do something that works for you. Take notes so that you don't just read the Bible and it goes in one year and out the other. But so that way you can, uh, you know, really grasp onto it and you can allow it to change your life. By the way, I'm going to get a couple polls and turn this into a scroll and it's going to look really cool. Just telling you. But do whatever it takes to get God's word into your life. Allow it to change you. Fall in love with God's word because he's got a story and it's written for you. And the second thing I want you to take away is this. Don't just simply read God's word, but allow Jesus to write your story. Because again, you're part of the big story. So allow him to write the story. In Hebrews chapter 12, it refers to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. So if you want your story to end in the happily ever after variety, then allow Jesus to guide you in your story. Because he's already worked out the perfect plot line for your life, and it's a good one. It's a good one. Allow him to thread you and stitch you into his master's story that starts in the beginning and ends in eternity. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray with you before you go, but if if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you have the opportunity to do that today. You have the opportunity to say, you know what? I'm realizing 
man, life is all about Jesus. And it's a simple prayer. There's nothing magical about it or anything, but it's a simple prayer of surrender saying, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to make you the author of my story. I want to give you control. And this morning, if you want to make that, that commitment, you can say that simple prayer. In fact, I'd love to, to pray with you after service. I'll be down front. So if that's you, I'd love to, to talk with you and get to pray with you and give you that opportunity today. I'm so thankful that Jesus gave us his word. So I challenge you, get in God's word this week and every week of your life. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you didn't just give us a pamphlet. But God, thank you that you gave us stories and examples. You gave us poetry to describe concepts that our brains can't handle. God, you gave us a life example of Jesus who came to this earth and, and showed us how to live. You even gave us arguments and some of the books that tell us why living for you is better than any other way. God, you appeal to us on so many levels, a logical level, an emotional level, a historical level. So Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I pray that it would pierce our hearts. God, may we not just pass by that, that book on our shelf. May we, may we not skip our reading plan or anything like that. But God, may, may we grow. May we learn. May we allow your word to change our lives as we saturate ourselves in it. Give us a love for you and for your word. Now be with us now as we leave this morning. God, and may we spread your word to our communities, to our families, to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.